Well, hello and welcome to episode number 284 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and not joining me in the PTUK studios this week is my co-host Matt Smith because he's sunning himself in the fields of Yorkshire in the caravan, I do believe, this week. But uh, joining us uh, via the realms of the interweb uh, it is the man who I could only say could sort everything out technically if he was here with me. It's Neville Bounds. Yeah, that's never mind. We'll do our best. We'll see how we get on. But uh, yeah, great to be back on the show this week. And uh, yeah, been a very busy week for me. Uh, lots of stuff going on. And uh, just finished uh, editing all the Big and Hill stuff as well this week, which was great. So that's all uploaded. And we'll be showing some of that later on. Uh, but uh, yeah, we really enjoyed uh, our time there. So I've not been on the show since the uh, Big and Hill air show. No, we've so missed you. Flight. Really good and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's had a superb time there. So, joining us as well this week uh, via the realms of the internet, it's uh, the man who usually finds himself getting up at the silly hours of the morning to join us on a Saturday morning show. <laughs> it's Armando. Hey, Carlos. Hey, Nev. How you guys doing? Uh, happy to be here uh, once again. It's a beautiful day here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm excited to uh, make it to the show. Unfortunately, I can only be here for about an hour today, but uh, no. looks like we got really good stories, and I'm excited to go talk about them. Excellent. So uh, we've got lots to get through in the show this week, as Armando said. <laughs> through, uh, through. Uh, well, we've got some stories to do actually this week. News stories, and while he frantically tries and gets the uh, news stories thing up, we're definitely going to have to invest in some new mices in this studio. Uh, we've got uh, also got a, a good segment from Big and Hill, as Nev said, coming up later on with uh, the Bronco, I think it is, isn't it, Nev, we've got uh, coming up. Mm. But uh, first, we're going to start the show then, as we do each week, with a rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready, fingers crossed. Yes, we are. Ready to go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, and this one is on the CNBC.com website. And uh, it's all about the Max, because we like to have a chat about the Max on the show. So United Airlines to move its grounded 737 Max jets to Arizona. So obviously they've got a few of these kicking around now on the ground. So United Airlines announced on Wednesday this week that it's moving its grounded fleet of 737 MAX jets to Arizona for storage. The airline, which has 14 of the aircraft, uh, currently stores the jets in Houston and Los Angeles. Uh, United uh, said it's moving the aircraft because of weather issues in Houston and construction of space issues in Los Angeles. Uh, the Boeing plane has uh, been grounded since mid-March following two fatal crashes, uh, which we all know about. And the plane must be recertified by the FAA before it can rejoin the fleets. United is fully committed to safe movement of the MAX aircraft, and uh, they also said that they have clearance from the FAA to conduct these ferry flights, uh, a United spokesperson said. Houston is less than 60 miles inland from the Gulf of Mexico and the southern U.S., uh, is in the midst of peak hurricane season. 
and that's one of the reasons why the airline is moving the jets, the spokesperson said. Uh, the timeline to reintroduce the aircraft has been pushed back, leading airlines to take the jet off their schedules. United has cancelled 737 MAX flights until November. Uh, the company said uh, the move to Arizona does not change those plans. Uh, Southwest has said it won't fly the plane until 2020 and has delayed hiring new pilots because of uncertainty around the MAX. Uh, the grounding has also caused storage issues for Boeing, and which has continued to produce new aircraft, and the company is hiring temporary workers, as we said in last week's show, to maintain its undelivered fleet. The cancellations have also weighed on airlines' earnings. American Airlines reported a $175 million hit to its pre-tax income the second quarter due to the grounding. United did not disclose the financial impact of the grounding on its earnings, uh, but it did say it was buying used 737s to meet growing demand. Now I suppose we can all probably know and guess why they're moving these aircraft to um, Arizona because I suppose there's lots more space and it's also dry. Would you say, uh, Armando? Yeah, that's uh, it's uh, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Southern California. I think it's uh, Victorville, San Bernardino. Those are all good places for airlines to, well, any air operator to store their airplanes. And there's actually specialty centers, we'll call them, that uh, specialize in pickling aircraft and getting them, you know, prepped to uh, battle the elements, but but still remain in an airworthy condition. And, and as we speak, there is a hurricane that's headed towards uh, sort of Florida and could turn into the Gulf. So uh, I know for them, it, it's probably a smart move to go ahead. And I, and I think, I don't know if it was United, but it was another airline that was saying they were regularly flying these aircraft, you know, with no passengers, just on sort of these maintenance flights to, to keep them uh, lubed up, so to speak. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it, really, whether these aircraft will end up staying there <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if, if this doesn't get uh, sorted out soon. But uh, any thoughts, Nev? Well, yeah, I, I, I was just thinking about how long they've been grounded for so far and the cost associated with this must be billions of dollars uh, by now in terms of compensation and loss of earnings for the airlines and, and all sorts of things. I mean, I really hope that when November comes along, this is sorted once and for all because uh, Boeing cannot afford to have uh, either an accident with this or another failure of, of of the, of the um, MCAS system, mm. so let's uh, keep our fingers crossed for them because it's you know it's obviously hurting the company very much and also its customers and therefore its passengers too. So Nev, sticking with you, uh, the next story is uh, good news for Boeing and BA. Yeah, it's the seven eight seven ten, and that's going to be the next BA uh, next new aircraft type. Uh, BA will be the only carrier in the UK to operate all three models of the seven eight seven. The air, uh, aircraft, or the airline rather, already, already operates the uh, Dash Eight and Dash Nine variants. Um, and uh, it says whilst our focus has been firmly on the uh, Airbus A350 entering British Airways fleet uh, recently, it's time for a change. The airline is due to welcome its first Boeing 787-10 next year. Of the 189-10 aircraft in order, BA has claimed 12. Uh, seven airlines have already taken delivery of the Dash 10 so far out of 12 customers, including lessers. 
Uh, the, the Dash 10 is the largest of the three Boeing 787 variants. Um, earlier on, uh, British Airways told simpleflying.com that uh, its first Dash 10 will be delivered sometime during 2020. This confirms what we already know from its 2018 financial report, where BA said that outstanding commitments would see these aircraft delivered between 2020 and 2023. Uh, unfortunately, BA is as yet unable to further narrow this year-long window. Um, earlier on, uh, Executive Traveller reported that the first example will be delivered to BA in January, but when questioned by Simple Flying, however, BA was un unable to confirm this news. With this said, uh, we'd love to see the Dash 10 delivered. Uh, towards the start of the new year. Now, uh, BA's new Dash 10 aircraft will come equipped, uh, equipped with the carrier's new club suite cabin. Uh, the new suites will come equipped as the aircraft is delivered from the Boeing factory. Uh, this will launch the third phase of the carrier suite uh, rollout program. Uh, the new club suite cabin uh, debuted on the carrier's recently delivered Airbus A350 aircraft. Uh, the aircraft, Golf X-Ray Whiskey Bravo Alpha, is the first of 18 to be delivered to the airline, with a further three expected by the end of the year. In March, BA said that it was expecting 72 aircraft to join its fleet over the next five years. This includes the new Dash 10s, in addition to up to 42 777-9 aircraft. Uh, now, BA, uh, BA's new A350 aircraft are currently being delivered without a first-class cabin. As at the aircraft's inaugural flight from London Heathrow, Simple Flying asked Alex Cruz whether he thought the club suite would draw customers from first class. Uh, Mr Cruz told us that the airline's refurbished Boeing 777s will not have a brand new first class seat. He adds that he hopes that there'll be a differentiated service between first and club world on the 777-9. Expanding on his point, Mr. Cruz commented that he did not believe that the new club suite's product will poach many customers from the carrier's first cabin. Uh, as the Boeing 787-10 uh, is being delivered before the 777-9, it will be a fair assumption that the Dash 10 will have the carrier's existing class now I travelled a few years back, a couple of years ago, on the um, BA's Dash Nine um, of the uh, of the Dreamliner, uh, which was uh, just only just had it a few months, and um, yeah, I was really impressed with it. I thought the interior was nice, although I was sitting in economy. But they have those very nice couple seats right at the very back of the aircraft, which I do love. Those little you know, a little row of two seats yeah. on each side, which are. Uh, yeah. Which are definitely worth the um, the extra whatever how many pounds it was to uh, to reserve those seats. Yeah, they are good, brilliant. So Armando, the next uh, story is uh, for you. Yeah, this is from uh, Aviation Herald, and uh, it's about an accident that happened over in China. So an Air China Airbus A three thirty dash three hundred, registration Bravo five nine five eight. Performing flight uh, 183 from Beijing to Tokyo Hanidas. Airport was boarding for departure when smoke emanated from the aircraft, prompting a rapid disembarkation of the people on board. Cabin and flight crew vacated the aircraft via the jet bridge. After all the passengers, emergency services responded and extinguished a fire in the forward car cargo hold. There were no injuries. The aircraft received substantial damage. The airline reported on 27th August, Beijing time, flight uh, 183 from Beijing to Tokyo during the passenger forward. 
best passenger boarding found that the forward cargo space in front of the aircraft smoked. Uh, the crew quickly took firefighting measures and organized safe evacuation. The specific cause of the incident is under investigation. Um, that flight had arrived from Singapore a few hours earlier, and the uh, China Civil Aviation Authority released some figures. It had 167 passengers, three flight crew, 11 cabin crew, and one security officer on board. They received a smoke, forward cargo smoke uh, indication on their ECAM, and uh, and yeah, quickly uh, evacuated the aircraft. So yeah, Carlos is showing the pictures there. That this looks like uh, one of those pretty intense fires that that spreads fairly quickly and and i'd say that that aircraft is is going to be written off but uh it seems pretty localized though so I'm, I'm i'm curious to see in the future what what they find the cause of this to be but uh, at the end of the day they were lucky to have been at the gate and able to uh, deplane very uh, very quickly through the jetways and uh it, that can be a challenging situation because that at the gate, the slides are not armed. Not that it takes very long to arm them, but that could be a, you know, one of those habit patterns that you don't that you don't have of how do you evacuate the airplane when the slides aren't armed and it's on the ground. Actually, I was looking at the um, on that story on the Avery, Av Herald. There's a list of the what cargo was in the uh, cargo compartments, and um, there's some rather interesting um, bits and pieces, I should say on that aircraft uh, now i don't know whether you had a chance to glance through the uh, the list of um stuff that goes from anywhere from a a phone oh, pendant to a know. to a wind chime uh sweaters um i'm just trying to find something that, that would be remotely flammable in, in amongst that lot although um yeah well, there's some speculation as to whether it, it started in the cargo hold or it was a galley fire uh, it doesn't seem like the floor in that area was compromised. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that the deck on the on the Airbus is a solid deck, so there's not very many pipes that a fire could go up through, you know, from the cargo hold to the ceiling like that. So I I'm no expert at uh, looks like it's about the galley, but yeah, I would I would lean towards a galley fire or something, some some kind of electrical. Mm. fire uh, up above the the galley or something actually our main man micah in a chat room has uh, has just said apparently uh the fire was related to the oxygen system and the china civil aviation authority put out a warning to check oxygen systems on all a330s so there we go thank you yeah. micah that's why we have the chat room you see so moving on to uh the next story which is on flightglobal.com Nev, your favourite site. Mm. So AirAsia Group orders, good news for Airbus, AirAsia Group orders more 330neos and 321xlrs. So long-haul budget carrier AirAsia X is ordering another 12 A330-900s, adding to the 66 already booked by the airline. It's also taking 30 of the newly launched long-range Airbus A321XLR single-aisle twin-end jet uh, aircraft as well. Uh, AirAsia X signed for the aircraft during an event in Kuala Lumpur on the 30th of August. And while the A330neos are powered exclusively by Rolls-Royce Trent 7000s, no engine selection has been disclosed for the A321XLRs, although AirAsia is a strong CFM international customer. 
the uh, budget airline has been instrumental in the decision by Airbus to re-engine the A330. AirAsia Group Chief Tony Fernandez said the order for the 12 additional aircraft reaffirms the company's selection of the twin jet as the most efficient choice for its long-haul fleet. Fernandez adds that the A321 XLR will enable the company to introduce routes uh, to uh, new routes to destinations. And AirAsia X Chairman Radif Aziz says the decision will enable the airline to look at expanding beyond the eight-hour flight radius uh, to cover destinations in Europe. AirAsia's order combination will lend strong backing to Airbus's strategic pairing of the long-range A321neo variants with the A330neo as a counter on Boeing development of a new mid-market aircraft. Now, it's safe to say, I think that uh, well, obviously with the current situation that is in the uh, in the aviation world at the moment, Airbus are got to say they're they're they are really raking us in, guys, aren't they, with the orders? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yes, they're on a bit of a uh, bit of a roll at the moment, aren't they? Um, but um, as always in the the commercial aviation world, you know things can change at a moment's notice as well. So once Boeing get their uh, Max aircraft uh, going, and they start uh, shipping the uh, or delivering the, uh, the Dash tens as well. That could easily change again. So, but um, you never know. It tends to, um, you know, synchronize the timing with things like air, you know, big air shows and things like that, doesn't it? So, you know, by a farm for next year, for example, um, it could all be different. But you never know. Yeah. I, it'd be nice to see. I, I, I would love to have a go at flying on this uh, this the A three thirty Neo because I thought the uh, the original A three thirty was uh, was fairly noisy. So hopefully the uh, the Neo is a lot quieter. Armando, have you tried the uh, any of the Neo variants of uh, Airbus's aircraft yet? Uh, no, I haven't. I I thought I was going to get on one in on uh, Allegiant, but I don't I don't think they have the Neos quite yet. Obviously, Nev, you've um, you've had the the chance, or you've had the uh, the uh, joy of flying on uh, one of BA's new Neo three twenties. I mean, yeah, I was on the uh, A three twenty Neo uh, out of Gibraltar. Uh, that was the first time I went on it, and then I went on A three twenty one Neo uh, coming back from Edinburgh one day. And uh, yeah, great sound on takeoff, but so quiet in the cruise, mm. as I've mentioned before. Oh, so, well, very comfortable for the passengers, definitely. So, Nev. A special story next, chosen oh. just for you. You know, it's my own <laughs> fault, isn't it? Because every time there's a computer failure at PT UK headquarters or uh, on Armando's side, maybe I normally say, well, go and get a Mac. You know, it just works, doesn't it? Uh, unfortunately, um, here is a situation where. Uh, this may not be the right answer because on laptopmag.com it says major airline bans all MacBook models after battery recall. <laughs> well, several airlines have extended a ban on MacBook Pro laptops to include those that weren't affected by faulty batteries. If you missed the original news, Apple recalled the 2015 MacBook Pro sold between September 2015 and February 2016, I guess that probably is, after it was determined that some units could overheat and pose a fire safety risk. Uh, this led the FAA to warn US airlines against allowing MacBook Pros on board flights, a caution that spread around the globe. Uh, whilst the number of affected MacBook Pros was determined to be around about 460,000, some airlines are extending the ban and one has gone as far as banning all MacBook 
models regardless of make or manufacture date. According to a Bloomberg report, Australian airline Qantas now requires all 15-inch versions of the MacBook Pro to be cowed in the cabin and turned off. Australia's other major airline, Virgin Australia, took it a step further by banning all Apple laptops from checked-in luggage. In a statement, Virgin Australia states that all Apple MacBooks must be placed in carry-on baggage only. Uh, Asian Airlines, Singapore and Cathay Pacific have also banned the recalled MacBook Pro models, whilst Thai Airways has banned all MacBook Pros released between September 2015 and February 2017, whether they fall under the recall or not. Because each airline has its own rules, we strongly recommend checking in with an airline for details about their MacBook Pro ban policy before heading to the airport, it says. Whilst it might seem strict for an airline to ban all MacBook Pro models from flying, it's easy to sympathise with their decision. Faulty batteries are no joke. Uh, damaged or defective lithium-ion batteries can't go thermal runaway, an unstoppable chain reaction that causes them to ignite. If, they, if that was to happen to a laptop with an, an airline's cargo hull, it could be catastrophic. Also, determining whether a 15-inch MacBook Pro one is dangerous to bring aboard is a difficult and time-consuming process. The only way to know for sure is by turning the notebook on, which could be a risk in itself, and checking the serial number found in about this Mac page uh, within the Mac OS. Uh, there is no way to visually distinguish between MacBook Pro models unless one has a touch bar. If you own an affected 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro, Apple will replace your battery for free, but you'll have to send your laptop to an Apple repair center. So this mm. is just another case of the lithium ion and the thermal runaway business. Very nasty. And it, there's plenty of clips on YouTube you can see of uh, how difficult it is to put these kind of fires out because the uh, temperature just gets hotter and hotter and it's relentless. Do you, do, you, do you find these get hot when you're charging them, Nev, or is it... Um, um, I haven't got a MacBook Pro anymore, unfortunately, okay. um, but um, they can get on the warm side, yeah, um, but not, not overly so. Um, the, the power supply certainly does, as you'd expect. But yeah, so, um, but no, this, this whole lithium-ion business is, you know, is a big issue, isn't it? I was wondering also as well, you know, obviously you have the charge points on the back of um, of the seats in, in a lot of aircraft now, whether these charge points on the aircraft are, you know, of, a, of, a, of the right amperage and, and power to, to, to charge, you know, um, something like, a, you know, a, net, a netbook, a laptop or, an, you know, a MacBook, mm. do you think? Yeah. Well, the other thing is, of course, there's so many things which are using uh, USB-C now as well. So there's a whole different sort of power and charging regime going on. Mm. So, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, and, of course, people are running machines which are four or five years old, you know, regularly. I mean, they, they all still work. The one I mm. just gave back, you know, it's, it's uh, 2014 vintage. It worked perfectly. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big problem. Any thoughts for you, Armando, before we move on? Yeah, I just wonder what... What an, an incredible burden it is for the airline because I, I know when I travel, the only people that ever look at my uh, laptop PC is, is security when you're going through. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen the airline uh, crack open a, a bag and say, hey, do you have this certain type of... So you're, you're really banking on the people knowing and that 
what model they have and then and then knowing that the airline has restricted those models so that's great that they'll put it out there i'm sure they'll they'll put signs out just like they did with the samsung phones for a little while there and make cabin announcements but at, at what point will your cabin announcement say you know hey here here's how you buckle your seat belts the life rafts are operated this way and uh we're going to go through the list of prohibited items <laughs> you know just uh who, who's going to check for that stuff other than the passengers themselves? Actually, yeah, did, I, did I read something on uh, online this week, Nev? They're going to start to relax the liquid um, ban at some point soon in the UK? Yeah, there's, there's some talk about that. Uh, there's new technology coming in, and we'll no doubt do a news story about this quite soon, I think, um, about uh, how they're going to detect things in future. So that's going to help a lot. I mean, again, uh, if you fly on any flight at all, um, especially people that aren't familiar with the protocol, um, it does cause a massive amount of delay before the security bit. Mm. So uh, anything that can alleviate that has to be a good thing, doesn't it? So, Armando, the next story uh, for you is uh, all about something that I would love, a nice 20-hour-long flight. <laughs> yeah, Qantas is going to run some marathon ghost flights from New York and Ooh. London to Sydney, uh, carrying just a few staff to see how the human body holds up before the commercial services actually start. Uh, Qantas said Thursday it will simulate the world's longest direct flights with Boeing Dreamliners as soon as October. The payload of 40 passengers and crew, most of them employees, will undergo a host of medical checks and assessments. The Australian airline wants to start direct flights connecting Sydney to New York and London as soon as 2022. Uh, the CEO of Qantas describes the services as aviation's final frontier. That's, that's a lofty statement, but... Uh, the services, which take about 20 hours, aren't yet a sure thing. Qantas still hasn't decided on a Boeing or Airbus SE plane that can fly the route fully laden and without a break. And it's not clear how passengers will tolerate living in the cabin for the best part of the day and night. Yeah. Uh, Joyce, the CEO, has previously said he plans to choose either the Boeing 777-8X or the Airbus's uh, A350-900ULR and 1000ULR for the flights. Competition for the contract gives Qantas more leverage over the price. In an interview with Bloomberg Television on Thursday, Joyce said that the delay to Boeing's 777X program hasn't excluded the U.S. manufacturer from the deal, but uh, he said that uh, Boeing had offered Qantas a, quote, transitional end quote solution to accommodate for any delay and he did not elaborate so 20 hours that's a long time in an airplane isn't it yeah when well, we, we've covered this story many times now on the show and um you know I, i'd be quite happy to to travel for 20 hours on an aircraft because it doesn't bother me but i think we'd all agree and i think everyone in the chat room and all the listeners would probably agree that if you were um doing a 20 hour long flight in say premium business or first you probably wouldn't care too much about the length of the flight let's be honest nev yeah i'm with you all the way there definitely um <laughs> yes all this business in economy oh you know anything over 45 minutes and i start to get the shivers you know <laughs> Mind you, I did. I did actually. I actually did read somewhere this afternoon whilst I was 
lying on my sick bed at home. Um, that there's that certain airlines now are starting to bring back some of the kind of niceness about economy. Not that there obviously was ever much niceness about economy, but a lot of the airlines are starting to improve the economy package. So perhaps that's something we'll see in uh, in future yeah, episodes. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so moving on to the next story, uh, which is, uh, here we go, if I press the right button, there we go, there's me. Uh, this one is on simpleflying.com and uh, the headline, Spirit Airlines to offer flight bookings via WhatsApp. Hmm. So customers of Spirit Airlines will soon be able to inquire about booking uh, f a flight via WhatsApp. The US airline or US based airline is set to launch the initiative from next month. Uh, the Points Guy reports that from the 1st of September, customers will be able to use WhatsApp to ask precise questions about their flight. Uh, reservations, modifications will be able to be made in both English and Spanish languages. Hmm. Uh, a text-based inquiry will, be, it will initially be responded to by a chatbot. Oh, there we go. Here, customers can ask basic questions before a spirit representative will take over. And to wrap up the reservation, the agent will send over an external link through the app. Uh, to take advantage of the process, passengers will have to reside in the US, Caribbean or Latin America. Uh, the cost of using the bulk of this service for inquiries will be free. Uh, the complimentary offerings include uh, being able to add bags, select seat assignments and receive instant flight information or assistance. And to make new reservations or to change existing itinerary, uh, there will be a charge of $25. Some of the customers have been criticising the lack of positive customer service from the low-cost airline. Over the summer, there have been several negative incidents involving Spirit flights. Uh, there are reports of passengers uh, on board a Spirit flight that had been uh, forced to move seats to accommodate an apparently racist request. Mm -hmm. uh, passengers reportedly refused to be seated next to another passenger because of their skin colour and demanded the airline move the original passenger elsewhere uh, to which the airline complied. A few weeks later, the spirit passenger was hospitalised following an in-flight fume incident. Uh, apparently Captain Al wasn't on board at the time. Uh, the A320 travelling between Seattle and Las Vegas uh, last week had an unusual fumes enter the cabin. Eyewitnesses said that it smelled of wet, dirty socks. Why is it always wet, dirty socks? Every time we have the story. <laughs> uh, then this month, uh, a bat got locked in a spirit restroom during a two-hour flight. Oh, poor bat. Uh, despite these incidents, Spirit still succeeds as one of the most popular low-cost airlines in the U.S. Uh, the cost of, of convenience to balance is something that customers consider when choosing the carrier. So, Armando, have you ever flown with Spirit? I have flown Spirit. And, and to be fair, most of these things that they just talked about, these negative experiences, actually have nothing to do with the airline. Uh, you know, moving a passenger <laughs> because of a dispute, that's probably the least... Uh, confrontational thing to do is just say, okay, we'll, we'll move them. You know, the last thing you want is a confrontation on, on, on the airplane. And uh, yeah, a, a bat and an unusual fume that like that happens on, on any airplane, uh, especially if Captain Al is flying. So uh, I, you know, I didn't have that bad of an experience. I, I knew what I was, what I was, uh, you know, purchasing and, and, it was quite pleasant. Same thing with Allegiant. I just flew Allegiant, you know, two weeks ago. And, and frankly, the Allegiant experience was better than some of the majors uh, that I've flown recently. The, the aircraft was roomy. The, the crew was friendly. It was nice to go 
direct to not a major airport so you can get in and out quicker. So uh, I've had good experiences with, with Spirit, with uh, Allegiant, with Frontier, every time I've flown all of them. So Yeah, and I like their livery as well. Very standout. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, Nev, next story is uh, for you and uh, is about a certain area of the aircraft that, uh, that I'll never go, but uh, you probably will. No, I don't think I will, actually. Uh, this is about the, uh, the first-class cabin and BA, which always seem to be quite well populated. Every time I'm flying, uh, there's always lots of people in the first-class section. So um, let's see. Well, it's, as I say, it's on the simpleflying.com website as well. Um, and BA has recently upgraded its business class cabin, as we alluded to earlier on. And the new Club World sees um, each passenger given a private suite. However, some have claimed that the cabin, <clears throat> excuse me, is better than the first class offering. So will BA update its first class uh, cabin? Um, well, the uh, BA's new business class cabin is the first hard product upgrade in the cabin in 13 years. And this is replacing the 242 configuration uh, of a new cabin uh, of 121 suites where everybody has direct aisle access. With a business class cabin that rivals the current first class product, will BA be upgrading the first class? So some have suggested that the new club suite cabin could poach some customers from the first class cabin on board aircraft such as the refurbished Boeing uh, 777 uh, which will have both cabins at the inaugural flight of the carrier's first uh, Airbus A350 Simple Flying asked BA CEO Alex Cruz whether this was something that worried him and Mr Cruz told us no there is a lot of corporate travel which has its own corporate rules and own corporate arrangements before adding based on what we've been discussing internally the data that we have we don't think there'll be a significant shift there'll be some but I don't feel that it will be significant um, and the question is should we expect a new first-class cabin well the answer is no not at least for a couple of years uh, Alex Cruz says that the uh, newly refurbished triple uh, sevens will not have a brand new first-class seat however he also mentioned we are quite centered thinking about the triple seven dash nine that's when we hope there'll be some sort of differentiated service if BA was to introduce a new first-class hard product on the dash nine passengers will need to wait a couple of years. According to the International Airlines Group, BA's parent company, the airline will take delivery of its new Boeing 777-9 aircraft between 2022 and 2025. Um, and uh, the question is though, are people still gonna book first class? Well, despite the gap between BA's business and first class product narrowing, Alex Cruz's predictions are likely to be correct. The real difference in the cabins comes down to the soft product. The first cabin is much more exclusive with cabin crew dealing with up to 14 passengers as opposed to over 40. Uh, additionally, first class passengers will ha have access to amenities such as the airline's first class lounges and food and drink exclusive to the first cabin. A BA spokesman told us, in first we have launched a new a la carte menu uh, with fresh British seasonal ingredients, a new 400 thread count bedding, designer glassware, crockery and cutlery, new loungewear and brand new bespoke amenity kits containing a new range of Elemis products. Um, which is nice, of course, but I can only imagine 
the cost of some of these first class tickets just for a laugh occasion i have a bit of a, a look to see what it is to, you know to go first class <laughs> as opposed to economy and it it is eye-watering it's not even close um and of course it's a big uplift on the business class fare as well again that they're not really uh, comparable at all no i'm just looking actually just while you were doing the story there nev just looking myself to see uh how much it would cost for a, a little shindig across to um, the States. And it's just just literally popping up in front of me now, hopefully, if it will do, on the BA's website. Here we go. Mm. So we, we, we're going to try going from London Heathrow to New York. Here we go. This is leaving tomorrow. Uh, return <laughs> flight. And uh, for the for benefit of you guys and girls watching in the world of YouTube, there we go. That's how much the cost of there's three seats left as well. Uh, three seats Ooh, left. Okay. Um, return in first class. So that was actually no, that's no, no, no that's just single. We need to do the return flight that's as well, don't we? <laughs> that's just one way. Here we go. Let's get the return flight up as well, and select that. Make sure I don't click the pay the buy now, pay now button. Unless I've got Nev's uh, card yeah, details in there. Yeah, so there we go. There we go. There's there is the price for those of you watching in YouTube. There we go. That is the price. And for those of you listening to the audio podcast, return flights to the uh, U.S. New York from Heathrow, thirteen thousand seven hundred and sixty pounds and ninety two pence. What do you reckon, Nev? Now, I, I remember the um, when Concorde was flying. The everybody was complaining about the. The four thousand uh, pound return ticket. Uh, that was going back a while, though. But uh, yeah, those are telephone numbers, aren't they? Really now. <laughs> what do you reckon on Monday? Are you going <laughs> to push push the boat out and take you and Meg? Uh, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. Maybe maybe once I get an airline job and I can uh, non rev or, or get some kind of buddy pass or something. Yeah. I don't I don't think I'll I'll be the first class cabin of of BA either so Nev it'll be all up to you <laughs> so moving on uh, to the next story Armando for you this uh, this one is regarding an, uh, an interesting uh, in-flight uh, video or um, safety video yeah I do love this because we talk about this plenty Japan Airlines is launching a new safety video that shows off what happens when passengers ignore emergency instructions in somewhat graphic detail the video also highlights potential new problems that can occur during an evacuation based on real aircraft disasters that occurred earlier this year. So the airline has released a new safety video uh, to brief passengers on potential problems and how to act. Uh, however, the airline still stressed that passengers must follow instructions as has made their new video somewhat graph. That's, that's a redundant, redundant paragraph. Uh, the safety video highlights potential risks inside the cabin it provides key directives on evacuation of the aircraft. Uh, yeah, so using a 3D rendered cartoon human, the video is able to animate them in rather exaggerated ways to highlight the effects of not following instructions. Uh, it has all the normal items, but then uh, it's it, it, trying to emphasize keeping your seatbelt fastened in case of turbulence. It shows the man being thrown around by the turbulence. <laughs> Uh, keeping items stowed under your seat in front or above, then it shows the passenger's items being thrown around the cabin. Leaving your luggage behind, show, showcasing a passenger blocking the aisle as desperate passengers try to escape from behind. Uh, don't bring luggage or heels down the slide, 
with passengers ripping, ripping the emergency slide as they drag suitcases or trip with their heels. And the last one is passengers fleeing from the airplane as it has performed an emergency landing. Uh, so yeah, Carlos is, is playing that out. And even what they call dramatic uh, re reenactment or cartoons, I, I think even in real life, it's probably even more uh, emotional than that. <laughs> but, uh, I know what I, I know what I would do if I had to evacuate an aircraft and I saw somebody going for their carry-on luggage. Go on in. What would you do? No, <laughs> oh, I, Knock I them out. you know, it's, it's, <laughs> a it's a family show, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I have to say, after all the uh, videos that we've seen on the on the show, because we do have some quite comical, uh, comical videos with with famous people on all the rest of it. This is. Um, this is pretty good, I will say, um, from a safety uh, point of view. I suppose it's uh, proving a point. Would you say, Nev? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, no, it's right up there, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I think that's uh, one of the most effective ones <laughs> going. But you know, there's been um, this year. There's been quite a lot of aircraft evacuations that uh, have been filmed, um, and uh, it's the same problem, isn't it? You know, people taking that, the carry-on luggage and all the rest of it, and it just shows you the uh, delay that it can cause um, when you're trying to evacuate an aircraft um, as quickly as you can. So, yeah, anything which is which highlights that, it's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, next story, moving on, is on gizmodo.co.uk website. And uh, we do hate droning on on this show, but we've uh, got a drone story this week. Ba -bum so this one uh, is, a headline is Gatwick bound A320 forced to evade drone. So the pilot of an A320 coming into land at Gatwick back in April was buzzed by a drone. It's uh, been revealed by the air traffic safety watchdog, uh, with the machine getting so close that the aircraft was forced to change course in a minor aerial panic. So the UK Airprox investigators aren't revealing which airline was involved, lest passengers respectively turn green and start getting ideas about compensation for nearly dying unawares. Now the report from the pilot says that he was around 500 metres up in the air, the uh, way above the acceptable ceiling for drone play, when he saw a dark machine flying extremely close and it immediately banked to the right to create some space between his metal tube and the enemy. <laughs> Interesting um, journalism. Uh, it's estimated that the drone came as close as 80 feet from the aircraft and it's 186 fortunately unknowing passengers uh, with the machine being flown by some naughty boy within the controlled airspace boundaries on the airport's approach. Uh, the monthly Airprox report also contains the mysterious case of an A319 uh, that encountered an unknown object at 6,500 feet up with its flying crew reporting something metallic-looking and reflective light passing the length of the aircraft. Investigators again said they could not determine the nature of the object, uh, said the Airprox board. And, uh, yeah, well, it's uh, safe to say that we haven't had a drone story for a, for a few weeks at least. Um, but, um, yeah... This uh, obviously is uh, coming back and rearing its uh, ugly head again, Nev. Yes, and uh, also rearing its ugly head again is media inaccuracy. So the story is about an A320 and an A319. So we see a picture of a Boeing uh, 744 of uh, Virgin Atlantic. We do. That's, uh, Very true, Nev. Brilliant. Well done, then. Well done to Gizmodo. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, a really surprising and positive experience uh, 
just by happenstance, I, I was at the airport counter uh, getting ready to fly when the phone rang and it was a young man that uh, was had just purchased a drone and they handed the phone to me and said, well, we got a pilot here. Maybe they can talk to you about it. I was like, well, I don't know anything about drones, but uh, I really appreciated that this young man actually called his local airport and said, hey, I, I just bought a drone. What are the rules for this? Can I come to the airport? Or I think he said, I live within four miles of the airport. Can I fly my drone? And um, I quickly went over to, uh, at least here in the U.S., the FAA.gov slash UAS website. So it's uh, very well organized and, and you know, it, you can click on it if you're a recreational flyer or a, a commercial operator or public safety user. Um, but I basically read him the highlights from that website. Um, so I, I was just really surprised that somebody would call their local airport and, and ask what the rules were before he turned the power on and started flying it. So I hope more people are, are doing that around the country or at least going to the U um, FAA website here in the U.S. Mm. But it's yeah. good. That's good, though. At least people are um, obviously learning. There are some conscientious people in the world with these drones, so that's good. So next story, Nev. Moving on uh, is one for you, all about. Uh, well, it's another BA story. It is, and it's on the Mirror.co.uk. And once again, there are so many adverts on this page; it's very difficult to uh, even read it. But uh, I shall do my best. Um, uh, it says that uh, aviation fans can get a glimpse inside the Boeing factory thanks to a new all-access documentary from British Airways. Uh, British Airways 24/7 Access All Areas will air on Channel 5 here in the UK, and the first episode offers a sneak peek inside Boeing's headquarters in Seattle. Uh, in a teaser clip, Gavin Shearer, BA's uh, aircraft delivery manager, visits the HQ as he prepares to buy the airline's 30th Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Uh, it offers a pretty fascinating glimpse into the factory, uh, sorry, inside the factory, complete with sneak peeks of the Dreamliner aircraft being built, spray painted and prepared for sale. Uh, the manufacturing site doesn't just build Dreamliners, it's also where Boeing 747, 767, 777 and 787 aircraft are made. Uh, the episode will also see Gavin and his team working against the clock with the aircraft manufacturer to finalize the deal and fly the new aircraft to Heathrow in time to operate its first flight to Toronto. Uh, Gavin said buying a new car is stressful enough, but buying a new aircraft is a bit like that, but a lot more expensive and a lot more complicated. Uh, it, it really is an enormous privilege to be in charge of delivering these incredible modern planes for British Airways, but I'm just one small part of a huge team responsible for making sure the aircraft is ready to enter service for our customer customers in just a few days. Uh, British Airways is currently expanding its fleet as it aims to take delivery of 73 new aircraft as part of a five-year investment plan. Uh, the pro this project also includes uh, existing aircraft um, receiving a makeover. So for example, the documentary will also include footage inside British Airways engineering base in Cardiff, uh, where a long-haul Boeing 777 aircraft will be stripped down and completely refurbished. Uh, the new four-part documentary series comes as British Airways celebrates its centenary year. 
And it could do with a bit of good news, couldn't it, at the moment, <laughs> with yeah. all the problems it's had this year. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So you can see that on Channel 5 here in the UK on Thursday, the 5th of September at 9pm. And I'm sure it'll be on the catch-up services and probably YouTube at some point after that. Actually, I was going to say, Armando, do you, in over in the US, obviously this is on, as Nev said, this is on over here on Channel 5 in the UK. Do you... Do you guys have access to to Channel Five over in the US via via satellite or? Uh, I don't. I don't actually know. I haven't looked at the uh, internet streaming. Uh, we actually, Megan and I don't have cable, or we don't have any kind of television in the house. We just do some streaming. We've got Netflix and Hulu. So, uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask. I know I could. I could get to the BBC uh, through the internet, but uh, I don't know about channel five ah, there's one for uh, for our uk li or oh, sorry us listeners i should say if you are living in the us and uh, you do have access to uh, channel our channel five here in the uk i'd be interested to see if any of you guys can watch that uh, that program uh, which is or if anybody's uh, in the us you can just head over to uh, seattle and watch it being built in person well yeah even better even better <laughs> <laughs> so the uh Last story in uh, on the commercial news this week. Armando is a very special story. Um, well, a very special story. It's a sad story, but it's also quite a poignant story, I think. It, it is a very special story. 30 years ago, on July 19th, 1989, Captain Al Haynes and the crew of United, uh, a United DC-10 made the best of a stunningly bad situation and brought Flight 232 flying from Denver to Chicago into a landing at the Sioux City International Airport in a manner that saved 184 lives. An uncontained failure of the tail-mounted engine destroyed much of the aircraft's hydraulically actuated flight control system. The crew and others aboard, led by Haynes, taught themselves in the moment how to manipulate the airplane to the nearest suitable runway. Haynes passed away on Sunday, August 25th, 2019, at a Seattle hospital uh, at age 87 just a few days shy of his 88th birthday. He was well known in the aviation community for his generous gift of time, sharing the story of the effective crew resource management responsible for avoiding a much greater loss of life in the accident. Haynes was honored by his fellow United pilots at the National Air and Space Museum's Wall of Honor. Uh, though he remained humble about his role in the event, he retired from the airline in 1991. And uh, I remember my dad was an airline pilot at the time and he you know al haynes was uh was the sully of 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 that time and uh my dad really looked up to captain al haynes and years later when i was studying to become a crew resource management instructor or facilitator um, that story of united 232 uh, we continue to use that as a case study for a positive example of crew resource management when it was just in its infancy uh, as as a concept. So, uh, Captain Haynes, you know, uh, blue skies and tailwinds. Very true. Yeah, it's, it's one of those stories that I think we've all seen the um, or read the reports and watched the various programs about. And uh, yeah, he um, he he definitely he done incredibly well along with his crew and everyone who helped him on that day. So, yeah, rest in peace. So, Armando, we're going to stick with you and hand things over to you to introduce the uh, next part of the show.
Yeah, if you guys are ready, we're going to go a little bit out of order this time and uh, go right into the military news. So if you're ready, let's uh, hit the button. Yeah, this is another uh, sad story from uh, the Aviation Geek Club and it's uh, former Patrulla Aguila solo pilot dies in a tragic Casa C-101 accident. Uh, the C-101 crashed into the sea off the coast of La, Magna, La Manga del Mar Menor in Murcia while practicing its display routine for the upcoming air shows. Uh, uh, there was a video taken and uh, posted on the internet of the uh, Casa C-101 crashing into the sea off the coast and uh, in Murcia while practicing its routine. According to the European Air Show Council Facebook page, uh, pilot uh, Comandante Paco Marin has died because of the accident. Uh, Commander Marin was a component pilot of the Aguila team until 2018 being the solo. The team was formed in 1985 and is the aerobatic demonstration team of the Spanish Air Force. It is based at San Javier Air Base the same location of the Spanish Air Force Academy near Mar Menor and La Manga. Um, flying seven Casa C-101 aviojets, they are the only team to use yellow smoke and are known for their formation landings. Uh, goes on to describe the uh, aircraft a little bit and there is a video that people can go to if you're interested uh, online about the, uh, showing the aircraft going into the ocean. So. Anytime this happens, it's always a, a sad day, especially when it's one of the demonstration pilots. These are, by and large, the best trained pilots in their country's air forces. Um, and, uh, you know, when an accident like this happens, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, really sad for, for the entire uh, military community as well as the air show uh, community. Yeah, I saw the videos of this, Armando which uh, had been taken i think by by people with uh, i assume probably mobile phones but it it looked almost as if it happened very suddenly and they and he didn't get a chance at all to eject from from the aircraft yeah it did it certainly didn't look like it and uh, and it was similar to some of the other demonstration team uh, mishaps that we've seen in the past um, where it's it's coming out of a uh, either a loop or, or you know, a Cubanate or something like mm. that. So. Very sad. So the next story is on the UKDefenseJournal.org.uk, sent in by Jonathan Warner, this one. And uh, the uh, headline, British F-35 jets fly with the American B-2 stealth bombers. So uh, this story then goes on that the British F-35 lightning jets have been conducting integration flying training with the b2 spirit stealth bombers of the united states air force uh, this happened as part of the b2 deployment to rf fairford in gloucestershire and uh, the uh, nato is uh, says here nato is the bedrock of euro atlantic defense and those secure foundations continue to be reinforced by the training exercises being completed by and between the royal air force and our special friends in the u.s air force uh, Group Captain Richard Yates, Chief of Staff at the UK Air Battle Staff, said he said that we're delighted that the US Air Force and the 501st Wing Bomber Task Force are here in the UK and that our F-35 Lightning pilots have the chance to fly alongside and train with the B-2 bomber crews. 
This is the first time that any other country has done this. And this flying integration builds on the work of Exercise Lightning Dawn in Cyprus and the visit of the uh, RAF F-35 Lightning to Italy in June, uh, where in both cases it had the opportunity to prove itself among other NATO allies who operate the aircraft. And he says here that the Royal Air Force friends are integral to the 509th Bomb Wing mission, said Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schoenenberg, Bomber Task Force Commander. The beauty of our partnerships is that we get to understand how they see the world. Working alongside international fifth-generation aircraft provides unique training opportunities for us to bolster our integration capabilities and showcases the commitment that we have to our NATO alliance. And uh, RAF Fairford routinely hosts development, uh, deployment and exercises of our U.S. strategic aircraft. These regular deployments reinforce the U.S. Force, uh, Air Forces Europe and the Royal Air Force's unique complementary partnership and our collective nature, uh, contribution to NATO. Uh, safe to say some of these pictures on this story are uh, quite incredible actually. Armando, if you just take over, I'll pop these up on the screen for those of you watching at home. Yeah, and it is, in addition to the pictures that Carlos is going to pop up there, a uh, friend of the show, Jonathan Warner, did take some amazing pictures of some B-2 bombers over at RAF Fairfield. And uh, they are the quality pictures that I, I feel like every time Jonathan goes out there and takes pictures, they, each one of them is worthy of, of either being a computer back, backdrop or, uh, or being, you know, printed out and, and decorating my house. If only Megan would let me. But uh, yeah, beautiful pictures out over the wash. Um, looks like the, the North Sea and then down towards the, uh, the White Cliffs of Dover uh, with the F-35s and the B-2s. So very, very cool. And I'm sure it was a great opportunity for, for the British uh, F-35s to, to get information with these things. So not very many people get to see them flying considering they, they can literally fly around the world from Missouri. So... It's safe to say Jonathan sees them all the time. He lives virtually just around the corner from him. <laughs> yeah, good for him. So, Nev, next story. Uh, actually, but before yeah. uh, nope. sorry, before Nev uh, go, goes on to, uh, to finish the military, I've got to head out. So uh, it was great to be on the show. Hey. And next week I am headed out to Reno on Friday. Uh, so I'll be out there for 10 days at the Reno Air Races. If anybody wow. is going to be out there i'd be more than happy to uh to get them you know behind the into the pit area and talk with one of the, uh, some of the pilots and show them the, behind the scenes so just shoot me an email at armando at plaintalkinguk.com and uh let me know where you're going to be and what uh what gate we can meet at and uh and we'll walk around reno behind the scenes sounds like fun you lucky honestly nev we miss out on Very all this cool. fun here, don't we? We get some uh, interviews and lots, yeah. lots of nice pictures as well, which I'm sure you will. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll see a lot of uh, good content from from Reno as uh, each one of those pilots has an incredible background and and they really do come from from all over the place. Some are, are private pilots, some are military pilots, lots of airline pilots, and they all come together every year to to uh, chase each other around at 400 miles per hour in the uh, Nevada desert. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Armando, thanks for joining us this evening and uh, give our best to the family. I certainly will. And uh, you guys have a great uh, rest of the show. Okay. Thanks. Take care, yeah, Armando. Everyone yeah. say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
So we're back, we're back, we're back. So Nev, handing yeah. things over to you for uh, for the last story, yeah. military segment. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, on popularmechanics.com, this aircraft, and if you want to bring some pictures up whilst I'm reading this, Carlos, but this is an incredible uh, designed aircraft. It's the uh, Sukhoi Su-47, and uh, one of the um, these made a surprise appearance earlier this week at a Russian air show. Uh, the Su-47 uh, was towed out of storage and placed on display at the MAX 2019 show at Zhukovsky uh, International Airport just outside of Moscow. The uh, Su-47 is one of two known aircraft built with Ford-swept wings. Now, according to the aviationist, uh, the Su-47 was unexpectedly towed out from storage uh, and placed on a static display. Its first public experience, uh, sorry, appearance, beg your pardon, since 2007. Uh, the black Su-47 jet features Ford-swept wings, greatly increasing its maneuverability at low speeds. Uh, unfortunately for the aircraft, the fall of the Soviet Union left Russia in a poor financial state and was unable to finance development without a foreign customer. Uh, Ford swept wings were investigated by both the US and the Soviet Union and Russia themselves. Uh, the highly unusual wing arrangement gives a fighter jet a high angle of attack at low speeds, enabling it to change direction quickly. This could give the Su-47 a great advantage in a dogfight. Unfortunately, as the US Defense Advanced Research Project Agency notes, Ford swept wings make aircraft aerodynamically unstable. unstable. Uh, the American X-29 Ford swept jet is required, uh, requires extensive fly-by-wire computer controls and lightweight carbon fiber materials to make the plane flyable. Uh, this seems to have been a similar problem with the Su-47 as the new Su-57 fighter jet developed after the Su-47 retains a traditional wing layout. Um, other air, Russian aircraft, particularly the Sukhoi Su-35 Flanker E, uh, achieve similar high angles of attack capabilities at low speeds with a combination of nose-mounted canards and thrust vectoring nozzles. Uh, the rollout of the Su-47 is a curious one. Why, after 12 years, is Russia showing off a jet that didn't lead to anything practical? Moscow should be placing its new Su-57 jet front and centre without distraction. It's likely that some Su-47 technology, wings not included, went into the Su-57 and maybe the aircraft is being shown as part of the long road to a new Russian fighter. But uh, yes, amazing uh, aircraft, isn't it, Carlos? And um, just defies... yeah, it, it can only be, be flown in a fly-by-wire sense. Incredible. It's just amazing. You just don't expect to see, um, to see aircraft with for you know it's as if it's been put together the wrong way you know it's a friday afternoon mm. job you know it's close to leaving off yeah. time and they just sort of thought well we'll just stick it that way around and um yeah i wonder what the it'd be interesting to know what the sort of you know i'm no aerodynamicist as i'm sure you know but be interested to know what what the the, the speed penalty is at the highest speed you know if, if it works so well for, for low speed dog fights and this kind of thing mm. i wonder what happens at the higher speeds but uh, yeah absolutely fascinating uh, actually I quite like the look of the aircraft as well funnily enough normally I, I'm not a big sort of military fan particularly but that uh, looks quite nice doesn't it it does so Nev perhaps while you're there you can uh, introduce the uh, segment from Big and Hill that uh, we've got to play out yes now um, this 
What, one of the things that I like about going to air shows, especially when you talk to the pilots, uh, is the enthusiasm for their work, their aircraft, the things that they do. You'd think they'd get fed up with talking about it, wouldn't you? But that, not at all. And this is a classic example of uh, Tony de Bruyne uh, who, with his uh, Bronco. Uh, and uh, Carlos spoke to him at the show about the aircraft. So look at behind me here because I'm standing uh, in front of, uh, well, one of the most awesome aircraft I think we've seen here at the display uh, today at the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight. And I'm here with Tony. Tony, tell us a bit about this aircraft. What is this amazing aircraft behind yeah, it's us? It's an amazing airplane that's uh, totally on the ball. Uh, this is an OV-10 uh, Bronco, built in the mid-60s, uh, developed for the uh, Vietnam War in the forward air control role. Uh, and actually used quite successfully in, uh, in Vietnam and then later in the first Gulf War as well. So what's it like to fly, Tony? Because obviously it's quite high off, off the, uh, the ground with the, the uh, undercarriage legs. Is it an easy aircraft to taxi and to, to uh, take off? Yeah, it's an absolute joy to fly. It's, it's built for doing a job. So the pilot doesn't have to worry about what's happening in the airplane. So it's, it's a stick and rudder airplane, really. Very simple to operate, it's uh, very agile, it was de designed to uh, plus 10G um, uh, load um, rating, um, so you can throw it around, it's fully aerobatic, I mean it's just like the most fun you can ever have in an airplane. So what kind of roles did this aircraft do, uh, Tony? Yeah, first role was forward air control, as I said before, yep. uh, counterinsurgency, which basically uh, is flying over the front line where the troops are in close contact, making out the good guys from the bad guys coordinating the attack with all means available. So this is not only the means of the airplane, but it was more like uh, uh, coordinating the attack using artillery, naval, uh, the ground troops themselves. So the, uh, the airplane carried in service uh, seven different radios to be able to speak to all the different services. Wow. And then make sure they all together took out the, uh, the bad guys. So this was a very, um, uh, the airplane was very much loved by the, uh, by the, uh, the ground troops on the good side. So on the, uh, in the, in the, on the flight deck, in the cockpit as such, is it all steam gauges? Are they, you yeah. know, is it high tech? or? It's, it's fully steam gauge. It's typical US cockpit you'll find in the 60s. So it's, it's, you find a lot of instruments which are uh, in a Phantom on a, or in F-104 Starfighter as well, um, which I think is great. You know, I mean, if one instrument fails, it's only one instrument that fails and not the whole, uh, the whole uh, screen. Um, and they're all military standard instruments, so they're quite quite easy to find and quite easy to get serviced still, still today. Yeah. So Tony, tell us a bit about yourself. How did uh, the aviation kind of passion start with you? Where, where did you start from? PPL up to where you are now? Yeah, I started with a PPL back in uh, 89. I did some glider flying that way before that. And then that progressed to a CPL. So I'm, I'm a fully civil pilot. I don't have a military uh, military background. And I got uh, about 5,000 hours now in twin turboprop airplanes. So it must safe to say you must have a big garage back at home to yeah. store this aircraft. <laughs> That's correct. We got a hangar which is about 1,200 square meters. So what other things do you do? do you, I mean, obviously, obviously we're here at Biggin Hill uh, today. Do you go all around uh, uh, the other air shows around Europe? Yeah, this year has been a very successful year again, and uh, we've been in uh, Holland, Germany, Czech Republic, we're going to Hungary at the end of the season, we've been all over the UK, we're going to uh, Northern Ireland, so we pretty much cover the whole of Europe uh, this year. So this is one of the aircraft, I mean, for me personally, I, I, the first time I've seen one of these uh, on a 
you know, display, flying display. How many of these aircraft do you know are still operational flying? Yeah, there was 360 built back in the day, in the beginning of the 70s, and um, at the moment I'm guessing like California Fire Department is flying 14 in, in California in exactly the same role that the airplane was designed for, which is coordinating an attack, but on the fire this time, so a more peaceful uh, purpose. Uh, so they got 14, uh, there is two flying at the moment in Europe, we got a second one which is coming online, so we'll have three in Europe. And then uh, in the States there is uh, two civil ones flying as well, and there is a new uh, new outfit uh, of ten squadron who are restoring a couple of uh, uh, ten's as well. The first one they got back in the air like just a month ago. So how is it? Oh, how easy is it to uh, to keep these aircraft flying? Obviously, spare parts and, and maintenance and engineering. Is it something you do yourself with the aircraft? Or yeah, we're fully uh, equipped for doing the maintenance on this uh, on this aircraft under our uh, UKCA approvals. Um, it's it's not a very difficult airplane uh, to maintain. It's like a standard twin turboprop. To find spare parts so far has proven not to be too difficult. So we're quite happy with the airplane and I don't see any problem whatsoever in uh, keeping the airplane in the air for the foreseeable future, which basically means 20 to 30 years or so. Wow. Uh, the engines are Garrett's, you'll find them on uh, plenty of other uh, turboprops and they're actually still being built new today. It's a very early model of a Garrett, uh, but however, I mean, those, the parts, the internal parts for the engines are still, uh, is still being built by Honeywell. So plans for the future, Tony. What have you got? Any, is there any plans you've got for the future? Are you going to stick, you know, stick with the aircraft, or is there any other, any other sort of displays or things you want to try? It's too much fun this airplane, so we're definitely going to stick with this one. We've got a second one which is near the end of its restoration, so we're hoping to have two online, and uh, who knows, there will be a third, a fourth, and a fifth one even. Wow, to see four of these flying in formation would be absolutely awesome. Yeah, it would be absolutely awesome. I mean, it's like just, it's, it's an amazing airplane and there is some footage you can find on the internet of uh, five Broncos or more even flying information and it's, it's an awesome sight and sound. So Tony, whereabouts are you based yourself with the aircraft? Yeah, we're based in Flanders Fields, very close to uh, Ypres, which is on the French-Belgian uh, uh, border, just an hour's drive from uh, Calais which puts us right in the centre of Europe, so it's, I mean, it's a good place to be, to cover like the whole of Europe, uh, airshow-wise. So for your journey here to Biggin Hill, uh, from where you're based, was it one, one hit or did you have to stop in various places on the way over? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, we've got a, we've got a range of like 800 to 1,000 nautical miles. Wow. It's, it's only 150 miles, Biggin Hill, to where we're based, so it's, it's an easy 40 minutes, one hop 40 flight. minutes? Yeah, 40 wow. minutes. What sort of speeds does aircraft do at a cruise? Cruise is 200 knots. The VNE is 350, but you have to point the nose quite down uh, in order to reach 350. And she has autopilot? You know, not at all. It's all uh, flown manually wow. all the time. No autopilot, anything whatsoever. And it's a neutrally stable airplane, so you have to, you have to stay with it all the time. So it's a real pilot's aircraft? It's, it's absolutely a real pilot's <laughs> airplane, yeah. Tony, before we wrap up, this one last question before we uh, finish. It's a question we ask all the pilots that we interview on the show. Kind of put you on the spot question. And uh, given the chance to fly any aircraft in the world, uh, be it retired or still flying, commercial, general aviation, military, you could go and fly now, what would it be? Oh, I think I would probably stick with the Bronco. With the, you stick with the Bronco. Yeah, yeah. You love the Bronco. <laughs> I do, yes. I mean, it's, it's a fun airplane to fly. It's, it's very versatile. I mean, we've been to the most amazing places worldwide. 
Uh, we're planning a trip to the US, which is, is very, very doable with this, with this airplane. We've mm -hmm. been to the Far East, we've been, I mean, to so many places and even even to uh, very small venues like if, if you have an air show on a, on a small grass strip or so 600 meters to 800 meters will do us fine so I mean we're so pleased with this aircraft we don't really want to part with it and it's so much fun to fly at the same time uh, I, well Obviously, you can think of many other airplanes you ever would like to fly, but <laughs> this suits us fine. Oh, that's fantastic. So for, the, for our listeners on the show, uh, can they go somewhere to find out more about uh, what you do? Yeah, we do have a website, www.broncodemoteam.com. And we're on Facebook as well, under the same name, Bronco Demo Team. Uh, and on Instagram, you can find us on social media all over the place. Well, great. Well, Tony, thanks very much for your time and okay. talking about this amazing aircraft. It's been great to meet you, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much, and totally our pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wasn't he awesome to chat to, Nev? Oh. <laughs> of oh, course. They just give so much, don't they? These, these pilots. I know. They they stop talking about it, and that's brilliant. You know, just the just the thing. I mean, what you what you couldn't see there is is after we've wrapped up the interview and we we uh, kind of uh, stopped talking uh, on on camera, that I think I continued t chatting to Tony for about another ten or fifteen minutes. That's right. Yes, that's right. When I was taking some <laughs> other shots. But, uh, yeah, no, he's great, isn't he? And um, yeah, that that aircraft, the manoeuvrability of it. Um, he was saying that, uh, that some of the maneuvers that they were doing, uh, they can do, you know, 89 degree uh, banks, uh, not not 90 because the CA don't like that, but uh, 89 degrees, he says. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, and did you notice the counter rotating props as, as well? I didn't uh, uh, clock that straight away, uh, but when it was taxing out, they... Uh, uh, they are counter-rotating ones, so uh, yeah, um, but um, what a great aircraft, and uh, I think it's um, it's the enthusiasm of, of the pilots and, and the maintenance people that keep these things flying, um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a great aircraft to watch, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, we could definitely say we uh, we had a we had a great chat with Tony, and uh, we have got loads of other great interviews coming up as well, haven't we, Nev? Uh, which we which we had on the day because it's safe to say that uh, we were very much looked after by uh, by the guys at Big and Hill, weren't we? Yeah, the media team was fantastic, and uh, it's quite often it's it's difficult to get uh, interviews with people because they're they're busy preparing for the next display or or, or whatever it is. So yeah, it's um, it was really good that the media team there made us feel so welcome. And uh, yeah, I I, um, I can't wait to go back there actually because it, it was it was really good. So we we teed it all up beforehand, but uh, they could not have been more accommodating. And uh, so we've got about half a dozen interviews uh, in. in total to show you and um but yeah they're all uh, you know really good and um i'm, I'm really pleased that we managed to uh, get down there yeah yeah i'm just saying for the uh, for the benefit of those of you watching on youtube i'll just put the website up there the uh, bronco demo team.com if you want to find out more information uh, about the uh, display team and uh, where you can get in touch with them but uh, yeah it's definitely one of those aircraft that i, that I hadn't seen before at an air show and um you know that we've got um, you know one of these at our museum here just down the road from us at Flixton at the Aviation Museum which is obviously not flying but it is in one piece um, but it, it's great to see these aircraft uh, in the air and they just look to me Nev just look so strange with that 
really l long, you know, undercarriage legs, the actual struts. Mm. But yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. That no, was really good. So yeah, looking forward to uh, more interviews and stuff uh, next week. Yes, so we're going to start to wrap up the uh, wrap up the show. Then I suppose now, aren't we? We've, uh, yeah, just we're... before we do though, um, can I just say thank oh, yes. you very much for uh, coming out of your bed, uh, Carlos? Because uh, <laughs> it would be safe to say that you were not a hundred percent. You've uh, contracted something nasty, which uh, uh, meant you had to come home from work. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not very nice. So I hope you're feeling. A little bit better, mate. Anyway. Yes, yes. Thank you, Nev, for that. Yes, I have been um, slightly. You could probably see my, my slightly red face because I am slightly warm. I have uh, for the last couple of days been suffering with a very nasty virus here and uh, got uh, told to leave work early on uh, on Wednesday. Um, well, th no Thursday. Oh, my mind's gone. My pot now. Yeah, mm. Thursday morning. And so I've uh, been bedridden most of yesterday and uh, yeah back uh, back into the stride of things today a bit at home I've been up and about and uh, getting over but it's really knocked me for six and I'll have to say that um, yeah it's uh, the illest I've felt for a long long time that's for sure but uh, I'm yeah, back and I'm uh, back. So you, you won't mind listeners and viewers if you don't mind a, a slightly shorter show tonight because uh, the chap's got to rehydrate and, and get himself some, some shut eye. Yeah, I have so, I've uh, got the bottle here. So, yeah, that's good. Well, next week there's much excitement uh, as far as I'm concerned because on Tuesday I'm flying from London Heathrow to Helsinki, Finland with those very nice Finnair folks on their A350-900. I cannot wait, I have to say. I've never been on an A350 before. Uh, hopefully, Carlos and I will be on the A350-1000 uh, going to Dubai in November, unless they change the plane again. But at the moment, it looks like it's the Dash 1000. But yeah, I'm on the uh, Dash 900 <clears throat> uh, to Helsinki on um, Tuesday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Might do a quick uh, Nev's passenger experience thingy uh, if I can get my act together in time. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. But uh, really looking forward to that. Actually, I was going to say, are you are you going to do an MPE segment for uh, for that particular? Um, yeah, I probably should. I think I think you should try and get some uh, video Nev of uh, of your mm. of your flight. I think that's definitely. Um... I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to. It. I haven't been to Helsinki for. Gosh, 12, 13 years, and it's a lovely part of the world, and uh, the people are very friendly, and of course the food is magnificent too, which is the prerequisite for going anywhere, as far as I'm concerned. Actually, um, Richard Adams has said that I need some go-around-a-cillin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think I could have definitely done with something yesterday. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah, no. e even the cat was steering clear of me yesterday, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, Yes, and even uh, Matt refused to come into the house. He did, he? yeah, Matt, because I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm looking after uh, after Matt's house this week and, and Mima the cat, obviously, because Mima's here, but um, because Alfie's gone away with uh, Mama Smith and Matt for their holidays. And uh, Matt wouldn't even come in and see me today in the house. He literally pushed the keys through the letterbox and then drove away very fast. So uh, thanks for that, Matt. I very, very much appreciate yeah, well, it. Well, as, as he pointed out, the last thing he would want if he's going on his holes was uh, to pick up what you had. So yes. uh, hopefully you'll start to feel a bit better in the next uh, day or so yes, as well. Yes, I hope so, so. Thanks so much for doing the show as well, because I know that it was a bit of a struggle. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, I got here in the end. 
Yes, I just stole Gemma's car and drove here. I done all right. Yeah, not to worry. We'll be back next Friday anyway. But uh, yes, yeah, so uh, social media pushes and stuff, bits and pieces like that. Don't forget if you want to contact the show, because we do love to hear from you. If you want to contact the show, Nev, what email address can they send their audio bits and pieces to us at? What you can do is send it to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and that will come into us. You can send it in whatever format you like. Uh, if you've got any video to send us, uh, let us know that you've got that and we can accommodate that as well. Um, and uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook and on Twitter um, and any social media channel just about. So do a search for Plain Talking UK podcast and you will find us. And also, of course, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget, if you want to become a Patreon of the show, we, we would very much appreciate it. If you have got a few spare pennies laying behind the sofa and you want to donate and help to fund the show, we really would appreciate that incredibly much. You can find the links on our website to our Patreon page, or you can donate via PayPal as well. And also, don't forget, on our website, you can find the links to click on to get yourself a PTUK lovely beautiful 100% cotton t-shirt with the P2K logo embroidered on the front and print on the back you can find all the details on our website to grab yourself one of those so that's uh, about it really I suppose uh, what are you up to next week Nev anything exciting in the world of Nev uh, yes, I've got my say my Helsinki trip on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. A yeah. uh, bit of uh, London activity, a uh, bit of driving, I think, at some point. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so I've started my new job, been there a month now, and really enjoying the folks. Um, so uh, yeah, really nice uh, to uh, uh, try something new. So um, yeah, Excellent. Really, really looking forward. To, honestly, I'm looking forward to going to work on Monday, which uh, is great. <laughs> yeah, I have that. I have that that uh, thing too now. Never, I actually look forward to mm. going to work every week, which I haven't been yeah. able to say for a long while. But no, uh, sure. no. Yeah. so uh, that is where we are going to bring episode number two hundred and eighty-four to a close. So thanks everyone for watching. Thanks to all the chat room who joined us tonight. Uh, taking time out your Friday and not forgetting as well everyone who downloads the show via iTunes and all the other awesome places online to download the show. We really do appreciate that. So uh, from me, Carlos, here in a very warm PTK studio and from Nev, <laughs> it's good night. So good night. Bye-bye. Yeah, take care. See you guys. Bye. Bye.